You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. Hey, good morning, good morning, or afternoon, or evening, wherever you are. My name is Josh. I am the lead pastor here at Refuge. Refuge is a new church plant in Southeast Austin serving the Austin Metro at large. We exist to make disciples that shape our communities with the love of Jesus. We believe Jesus, his love, his message, his care changes lives. And, and that change, those changed lives produce very real change in our communities, our city, our world. Uh, and so we want to welcome you, say thank you for joining us. We are in the pre-launch phase. That means you're still building a team to get the church started and launched, hopefully later this year or early next year. Uh, but man, if you would love to connect with us, we would love to connect with you. Jump into the video description, hit the connect link. Uh, we would love to hear from you, learn how we can pray for you, how we can walk by you during the season. If you want to be a part of that change that we're talking about, uh, I encourage you hit the join the team link. We would love to share more about what we're doing and invite you to get involved. Either way, we uh, look forward to hearing from you. And again, thank you for joining us. Uh, hey, right now I'm excited because we're actually starting a new series today, and that series is called Seize the Moment. It's all about developing healthy rhythms for our lives. I know what you're thinking, like, how can I develop healthy rhythms right now? And like, my, my life is turned upside down, and it's true. For many of us, our lives have been really stripped down to the bare essentials, our essential relationships, our essential environment in our home, uh, our, our essential, uh, you know, outings and habits, et cetera, et cetera. Yet in scripture, when we think about the impact that Jesus has on our lives, it actually always starts with the fundamental areas of our lives. It starts with those fundamentals, and those fundamentals, as they are impacted by Jesus, become the foundation that we build everything else on. And so we actually have a unique opportunity during this season to take inventory of those fundamental places in our life and to see, hey, how can I implement uh, healthy, if not healthier, rhythms into my life that will last far past the pandemic and, and really serve me for the rest of my life. Now, um, today we're starting with one of the most fundamental areas of our lives, and that is uh, our marriages. And so before I, I, I lose you singles, man, I'm encouraging you, please stick with us. We uh, are going to talk about a lot more than just how to be married. We're going to talk about how to follow Jesus, and, and I think there will be a lot here for you. But married folk, I, I really felt convicted to put this out there first. And um, well, check this out. In a recent Google search of the word marriage, I got some pretty interesting articles back. Let me read some for you. Top of the list, how to survive marriage in coronavirus quarantine. How to keep quarantine from ruining your marriage. How to save your marriage in quarantine. 15 tips on how to stay married during quarantine. Jeez, that's tough. And the reality is this. Marriages have had a, a hard, hard time right now. And maybe that isn't you. Maybe that isn't someone that you know to your knowledge. Maybe, maybe that is you and you've shared that with people or, or maybe you haven't felt comfortable sharing that with anyone yet. Um, regardless of what group you are, the reality is this season has, called a lot of, has caused a lot of relational uh, hardship and that has hit marriages uniquely uh, hard during this season. But it's my complete belief that the Holy Spirit 
wants to speak to God's people about this specific um, topic during the season. And he does that through the scriptures. But, but what do the scriptures say about a healthy marriage? Uh, do they give us a list of practical tips to, to how to communicate? Or do they give us five specific actions that every husband and wife can do to, to build a healthy marriage and healthy rhythms for our marriage? Um, fortunately, it, the scriptures do not do that. They, they give us something far better than, than Google could ever give us. And that is they tell us that as followers of Jesus, we've been given a new heart and a new life. And it's different than the life we had before. It's a life that's full. It's full of God's love and God's care and God's affection, but it's also a life like his. It's a sacrificial life. And this life, this sacrificial life, lays a foundation and guides how we build rhythms that create beautiful relationships, including beautiful marriages. What I want to do today is is I want to tackle two verses in scripture, two verses that really complement each other and and give us a pretty full picture uh, of of what biblical healthy rhythms in marriage look like. But but what we have to do first is we have to work through a bit of a process. We have to first understand the foundation that these healthy rhythms are built on. And then from there, we have to understand how to build those rhythms on top of that foundation. And so let's go ahead and start looking at the foundation that these healthy rhythms are built on. Because without this portion, nothing else makes sense. You can put all the 15 steps you want. Without this type of foundation, none of it is really effective. None of it really makes sense. And we're going to cover both husbands and wives here. Just bear with me because it's going to take a minute to work through all of it. Uh, But let's go ahead and dive in. As Rachel read, Rachel Blake, Mrs. Blake, thank you. We're going to go ahead and start in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to work our way through that, uh, touching on the the second text a little bit later. But we're going to start Ephesians 5, 22 through 24, and it reads like this, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Now, I got a break for a second here, okay? So, ladies, please, before you turn off the video, just give me, give me one second. I, I want to take a second before we move any further because I need to acknowledge that for many of us, reading these words is really difficult. For, for many of the people watching, I'm specifically talking to my sisters here, uh, many of you have experienced insecure, small, sinful, wrong men use language like this in order to make you feel small, in order to make you feel insecure, to deceive you and to hurt you. And I want to acknowledge that as a reality before we move any further. And and I want to simply say I'm sorry. That shouldn't have happened. And and I want to take a second to say you are welcomed in this conversation. Man, you are welcomed with your anger and you are welcomed with your hesitation and reservation about language like this. You do not need to set that aside. I want to invite you are welcomed into this conversation. Bring that. You are welcomed here. I also, though, want to plead with you, want to humbly ask that you would join me as we work through these words together today. Uh, It is my belief that though these words carry kind of a a painful weight to them in our modern world, put into context, put into context, they actually have a a beautiful and encouraging meaning. And you're probably asking, how could they have a beautiful and encouraging meaning? And it's going to take some effort. That's why I'm asking you to, to walk through these words with me. 
And the main reason it's going to take some effort is because of what we're reading. We're reading an ancient Christian document, right? An ancient Christian letter, 2,000 years old. Uh, And there's an old Christian theology saying that really applies here. It says the Bible was written for us, but it was not written to us, meaning the Bible was not written to 21st century Austinites. That means that at times it's not going to make sense. And in some scenarios, maybe similar to this one, it might even feel foreign or oppressive. Yet when we understand the truth and wisdom that's at the root of this scripture, it's life-changing even to 21st century Austinites. Okay, but to do this, we have to kind of strip away some presumptions that we bring to reading the scriptures, some, some cultural baggage that we bring. L- let me give you an example. Check this out. This is a painting called The Head of Christ. And it was painted by a man named Warner Salmon. I picked this picture because it is actually the most reproduced picture of Jesus in the entire world. Half a billion, 500 million reproductions in frames and Bibles and those little church fans, pins, you name it. They have sent this bad boy across the world. And if you know anything about biblical geography, where the stories in the Bible took place, you know that this is a pretty difficult picture to imagine Jesus looking like, primarily because he's super white, <laughs> like long flowing blonde hair, white, right? And there's a reason for that, okay? There's a reason for that. Um, the painter, Warner Salmon, he was American. He was a white American man, which means he had these ideas of beauty that he held to, that he brought into this painting of Jesus. Not only that, but if you look at this picture, if it looks kind of old school, that's because it is. He painted it in 1940. And so the style of art, its vibes are very 1940, right? He has that very Ten Commandments vibe going on. I don't know if that was made in 1940. That was a wild guess, but you get what I'm saying. Okay, now I want to compare it to this picture. It's a picture from 2001, and this was a work... Uh, This was the work of a team of theologians and archaeologists that were working on a BBC documentary. And what they did is they actually took skeletons of first century Palestinian men that they had found. Okay, so so people in the area that Jesus was active and during the time Jesus was active. And, And they did a composite of what the average looking Palestinian man looks like. And that's it. That is 100% more likely what Jesus looked like than this guy, whoever this guy is. And I would argue that this is often what can happen when we approach scripture. We have these filters, not just our general culture, but even even what our current time is saying about specific things. And so I'm not just interacting with these words as an American. I'm interacting with these words as an American during the year 2020 in the middle of a pandemic, right? And what we want to do is try to remove as many of these filters as best as we can so that we can get that right-hand image, something closer to what the actual authors meant to be communicating to us, wanted to communicate to us when they wrote the letter. And we can start by knowing who wrote this letter. This is actually a letter written by a guy named Paul. Okay, he was Jewish. He was a Jewish man named Paul. And he's writing to a church in the city of Ephesus, a city that was a church that was largely not Jewish, mainly Gentile. And though we don't know exactly why he was writing the letter, what we do know is that he wanted to show them the reality of Jesus' death, resurrection, and salvation of us as his people should change how we live every single aspect of our lives. 
He does this by first laying out this amazing, amazing story of God's redemption in chapters one through three. He tells us about how God had always planned to save a people for himself. And he gained that people through Jesus laying down his life for those people, the followers of Jesus. And those followers of Jesus, you and I, have now been brought from death to life. We've been given a new life and a new heart, what I mentioned earlier. And then starting in chapter four, he begins to focus on how we can now live out this new life that we've been given. It doesn't happen naturally. He says that we have to take off an old man and put on a new man, but we also have the Holy Spirit now who is able to help us. And he summarizes this action right there at the top, at the beginning of chapter five in verse one, when he says this, therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. You see this, this imitation of God's character is going to be in every single part of our lives and in every single relationship in our lives. From here on out, our lives as followers of Jesus, given this new life, are going to be marked by love and sacrifice and respect for others. And it really culminates in verse 21, when Paul says that every Christian is to submit to one another in the fear of the Lord, meaning out of reverence, love, affection, respect for God. And that's the foundation. We wanted to know the foundation. We needed a foundation earlier. That's the foundation. Submit to one another in the fear of the Lord, aka everyone. Live your life as an imitator of God's humble, caring, selfless love to one another. To my wife, well, yeah, to one another, to, to everybody. To my husband, well, yeah, to one another, to everybody. My kids, yes. My neighbor, yes. Yes, to, to one another, just to everybody. Just imitate God, right? And that's how we get to verse 22, in other words, because of what Jesus has done for us in redeeming us, in saving us, in taking us from death to life, we're all going to live out godly character in every relationship we have, submitting to one another in love and affection. So wives, and that's where 22 starts, wives, here's how you do it. Then husbands, here's how you do it. Children, here's how you do it. Parents, here's how you do it, and so on. Okay, and so, so he's, what he's doing is he's actually taking this beautiful instruction to be imitators of God, and he's taking each role and saying, here's how you do it. Okay, wife, if you're a wife, here's how you can do this in your role as a wife. Husband, here's how you can do it in your role as a husband. Same X, Y, and Z. And this would have been absolutely amazing if you were a, a, a Roman citizen in the first century, because during this time, women and children were never addressed like in, in, in formal writing, public speaking, like never. In addition, slaves were never addressed in, in public writing, uh, in, in, like, like, uh, in, in public speaking or formal writing. And, and, and later on, Paul addresses them as well. Yet, yet here's Paul addressing all of them. And, and even more than that, he, he's associating them with the benefits of this salvation telling them that they are loved and served by God, that the newly crowned king of the world has given himself for them. In Paul's view, every member of this community is equal, has been saved equally, and is now equally responsible for living out a life that looks like Jesus' life and living out the character that looks like God's character. And it makes you look at a verse like Galatians 3.27 a lot differently, where, where Paul writes to another church saying, for those of you who were baptized into Christ 
have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so right here is kind of the first fracture, the first removal of um, a filter that I hope we have today. This, this act of submission was never meant to be an isolating devaluation of women or of wives, but rather it was always meant to be an inclusive act of saying as an equal part of this community, here's how wives can live out um, imitating God's character and beauty. First century Greco-Roman wife, 21st century Austin wife, the king of the world, the, the God who created the universe, he sees you. He sees you. He has seen you right where you are, just as you are. And he has saved you as who you are, as the beautiful woman that you are. You are not a second-class citizen in this kingdom. You are a first-class citizen in this kingdom. You have been equally and saved beautifully by the God of the universe. And now, in fact, you are called to live out just as much as anybody else, a life uh, of humble uh, expression that, that, that shows God's humble, selfless, loving character. You are now called to link arms with your brothers in displaying this character to the world that desperately needs to see him. As Christ submitted to God the Father on earth, as he humbly served us by giving himself for us, by exalting uh, us, by him serving us, and now as the church now uh, submits to Jesus, so wives now have the opportunity to reflect that beauty in their submission to their husbands. Not to all men, because it's not about men. It's not about men being more valuable than women. It's about the role of wife having the opportunity to live out the beauty and model and imitate God's character in this specific way. I love how Karen Jobes, um, an absolutely brilliant biblical um, genius and professor at Wheaton College says it. Seriously, she doesn't write a ton for like non-academic audiences, but if you can find anything by her that's accessible to you, I mean, read it from front to back, all of it. Um, she says it like this. On this model of Christ's love for his church and the church's submission to Christ, marital love is understood as the resolve to live one's entire life totally committed to the well-being of one's spouse in every decision. When submission of the wife becomes the central issue, either from a man or from a woman, the image of Christian marriage has already been distorted. It, it, I'm not going to lie, man. Like, like having... Studying this week, I was burdened when I thought about how we bring our 2020 Western American presumptions to this text and, and belittle something that God gave us to see the beauty and equal value of women in yes, but, but more than that, gave us to show us the beauty of Christ's love in marriage. And, and we bring in these presumptions as men or even as women and begin to distort it when it was meant to be beautiful. I wish we just had like a, like a, like a, like a, a memory sweep, a, a reset button to reset the connotations we have for this word to, to see how beautiful it really is, but, but we don't. And, and this, is, this is the language that the scriptures provide for us. And, and even in it, we're, we're called to fight and see the beauty that's actually present in this text. And there's, I think, a lot to be had there. And while I'm praying we see the beauty of this text, the question still remains, what does this practically look like? 
what does this submission practically look like? Because I know we have a lot of good men watching uh, this video, but, but I'm also aware and not foolish to think that there might not be some broken men watching this as well. And so I feel convicted that we need to, we need to at least provide some, some distinctions so, to protect our sisters here. And that's why 1 Peter 3 was actually read a bit earlier. And we don't have time to do a deep dive on 1 Peter 3. I, I wanted to, but time just does not permit. We'd be here for like an hour. Um, but, but I want to give us the points that 1 Peter provides us about submission, okay? Because it, it really does tease it out a little bit and helps us understand it a little bit more so that we can get a better picture, okay? And, and if you want my notes for this, uh, like, like either a short or long version, email me and I can send those over to you. But, but the first thing 1 Peter does is that it, it helps us understand that that submission is not unbridled obedience, okay? In, in 1 Peter, the Apostle Peter is speaking and writing to churches that are under persecution from non-Christians. And in that group is a, is a subgroup, women, wives, who are actually married to unbelieving husbands. And because their call is, again, to, to imitate God's loving, selfless, just, just amazing character, they're called to submit to their husband still. Because remember, it's not about the husband. It's not about him being some type of unique figure. It's about, it's about representing God's character. So they're still called to that. But because it's an unchristian, a non-believing husband, there is a very real possibility that that husband can ask them, hey, do something ungodly. And the story of scripture is clear. If Christians are encouraged by leadership at any level to do something that that is against our faith, we have the, the ability and even are encouraged to, to disobey, to not do that. And so obedience cannot be synonymous with submission because submission takes place even if disobedience has to. And so let me give you an example. If, if I got into a spat with my neighbors, not that I would, but if I got into a spat with my neighbors and I decided to come inside and go full on 14 year old boy and just come and be like, Rachel, get the eggs. We're going to egg their house. And I don't know why this is what, come, what came to mind, but just, you know, just, just go with me here. Um, should she submit? Yes. And should she obey? No. You, you see that? Like, like even in your mind right there, you're probably thinking like, oh yeah, yeah. Well, I guess she has to. No, because they're not the same thing. She should lovingly submit by respecting me and letting me know that I sound probably a little crazy and I should not do that, but she loves me. That's submission without having to obey the craziness that I'm requesting of her, okay? So, so obe- uh, uh, obedience is submission, not the same thing. The second thing is that submission is not silence. Uh, people use a text like 1 Peter 3's um, word choice, like a quiet spirit or to win them over without a word and, and begin to use that to think, oh, I can silence a wife or wife doesn't, can't have an opinion in there submission, but, but that's not true. When we study this text and we remove those filters, we begin to see that uh, it paints a very different picture than that in the original context here. I, I scoured commentaries up and down this week, and, and whether a, a quote-unquote liberal commentary or a quote-unquote conservative commentary, they almost universally agreed that this was not meant to say, hey, you can't talk, but rather it was probably an encouragement from Peter because they had exhausted every opportunity they had to share the gospel with their husband. Meaning they had had so many conversations, so many, so many maybe even debates, conversations with their husbands about this, that at this point, Peter was saying, you know what, just let your conduct be the testimony to them at this point, because we don't want to discourage them by, by just badgering them with this. And so, so this is not an effort to, to 
to silence the wife's voice. Obedience and silence are not the same thing. And I want to take a, a break here because I feel the need to mention that if you are in a relationship where someone is forcing you to be silent and forcing you to obey them, that's not godly submission, my sister. That's abuse. And the scriptures never, never tolerate abuse. In fact, Peter undercuts the idea of abuse in verse 7 when he says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way as the weaker vessels, knowing that they are co-heirs with you in Christ. Meaning, husbands, understand that your wife is not as physically strong as you, but she is your equal but she is your equal in this kingdom. So don't lay a hand on her. Be godly. Live under, don't treat her the way you wouldn't treat yourself. Be godly. She's your equal. And so if that's you, if you're in that position, I want to encourage you to reach out to us. Because we would love to, to give you resources and give you some direction on how you can get the help that you need to get out of the situation that you're in because that is not godly submission, friend. And God does not smile on abuse. He despises it. Okay, now there's one last thing in First Peter that I want to mention, and that's actually kind of like on the, on the positive side. What is submission then? And I, I want to point to the fact that in, in this text, submission is about respect and uplifting. Okay, notice that this, tech talk, this text talks about submission being used to bring the husband to faith. It's about uplifting him. And in Christian marriage, where both spouses are believers, I believe the same thing applies. Right, This act of, of, of representing and imitating God's selfless, humble, loving character and, and, and the wife submitting to the husband is so that the husband can grow into the man God desires for him to be. He, he's not going to succeed and he's not always going to be worthy of that submission. He's going to fail, but, but it is the opportunity of, of, of wives in Christian relationships and in, in, in Christian marriages to, to exemplify Christ's character and even in the midst of failure, lift up a husband and help him become the man that God is calling him to be. It's a beautiful representation of what God himself, what Jesus does in our own lives by loving us, helping us, picking us up, by serving us, by by empowering us. Man, it is a beautiful reality. It is an act that mirrors Christ's lifting up of the ones he loves and encourages and builds them up. That's what happens. That's what it is. And it's beautiful. And so where we are is the fact that marital submission was never meant to be some type of devaluation of women, but rather it's the act of living out Jesus' humble character in love toward uh, the wife's husband. But it doesn't stop there, again, because this isn't about propping up husbands. It's about teaching every member of the household, this is how you imitate God in your role. And so he doesn't stop at wives. He actually continues on to husbands. And boy, husbands, I mean, we're kind of in for it. All right, let's go ahead and, uh, and check out Ephesians 5, 25 through 28. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So if the foundation 
is everyone living their life as, as imitators of God's humble, caring, selfless love to one another? How do husbands do that? Do we use the leadership in the home that, that God has, has called us to and, and, and kind of lord it over and, and show our, our strength and our confidence and our pride? No, no, we love our wives the way Christ loved the church. We lay down our life for her and give everything we have to see her likewise built up and restored and reaching the woman of God that she is called to be, that God has made her and is calling her and is forming her to be to impact communities, to impact the world the way she's been called to impact the world. That's what our job is, to lay down our life, to see her built up. We live as Christ lived. When he said this, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This idea of, of headship in the family was never meant to represent and, and to, to display male authority or ability. It was never meant to display any type of value to males at all. It was always meant to display the self-sacrificing leadership of Jesus over us as his bride. That's what it was meant meant to do. And I know that men have, have messed this up. And I know that many of us have screwed this up, but it is beautiful that we have a word, a scripture that calls out to us and a Holy Spirit in us that, that, that he's working in us and calling us back and going, no, man, if that's your perspective of what leading your family looks like, I'm here to tell you to repent and to come back to the fold and lay down your life to reflect a type of love and selflessness that puts your wife's needs above your own and our family's good above what we do for ourselves. Jeez, man, I, I love the way Scott McKnight, he is a theologian and commentator, puts this. Um, he says it like this, I believe in a wife submitting to her husband, but I don't believe the husband ever has the right to demand it. In fact, I know when I am unworthy of it. She does not. My responsibility as a husband is to be worthy. And again, and again, similar to the wives, this would have been absolutely ludicrous to the readers of this letter. I, I mean, crazy talk the first time they heard it. In a culture where, where men were supposed to be seen as authority figures and, and carry themselves with pride and strength and, 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 and harshness, where the Pax Romana was, 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 the, was the peace of Rome that was, that was held and continued by war and power, it would have been absolutely crazy talk to look at the Christian husbands laying down their lives so that their wives could be taken care of. It would have sparked confusion, maybe even anger, but it would have also reminded that wife that this Lord, our Lord, our Jesus laid down his life for you as well. Laid down his life for you and laid down his life for me. And the beauty of that sacrifice and the imitation of, of, of Jesus is now the foundation that, that our marriage is built on. That's what it would have shown her and that's what it would have shown them. Those little moments of sacrifice, and trust me, they are, they are little moments of sacrifice, friend. The majority of us, 
will more than likely not be in a position to like lay down literally our lives for our wives, like take a bullet, lay down on uh, the railroad tracks and like, like sacrifice ourselves in her place. Most of us probably aren't going to have that opportunity. <laughs> but you can die to your own selfish desires regarding how you spend your weekend and the home projects that you have around the house and what you watch on TV on Friday nights when the kids go down and and where you go to dinner in these little moments where we have opportunities to impose our desires and what we think is best for us when there is an alternative present that is best for our spouse in seeing and understanding and experience God's love for her. And I'm not saying that you can never go to dinner where you want or you can't watch what you want here. I'm not saying none of that. What I'm saying is that when there are opportunities to submit yourself, to, to, to give of yourself, to sacrificially lay down your life for your wife so that she understands the depths of Christ's love for, take it. Those are the moments we die to ourselves in our lives. When we begin to die to ourselves and then our wife uh, and, and lay down our life for our wife and, and, and wives, you are submitting yourself to, to your husband and, and it begins this rhythm of selflessness and service, of love and affection, of outdoing each other in kindness and honor. That's the rhythm that, that's envisioned in marriage here. This imitation game of Christ where each spouse is living in a way that desires to, to marry their discipleship to their marriage, right? This, these moments that build this beautiful, beautiful relationship with one another. This is what, this is what Paul has in mind. And, and let me share what, what this whole thing brought to mind as I was, as I was working through it. When, when Rachel and I were dating, we were learning a lot about each other. And, and anybody that knows me and wife know that we're very different. We come from very different backgrounds and cultures and mine more on the, the urban side and hers more on the suburban side. And so as we were learning about each other, uh, I found out she liked country, something that I spent my whole life detesting pretty much. And I know I'm sorry a lot of you guys like country, unless you're bad. <laughs> but um, yeah, so as I learned this, you know, it's like, okay, cool. And, but then a few times Rachel had like date ideas or we had opportunities to go out with her friends and uh, that at times would involve dancing and not just any dancing. Specifically, it would involve, it would involve country dancing, two-stepping, if you know what that is. And, and brothers, if you want to talk about dying to yourself, man, brother, that was dying to myself because I was down on the inside half the time I was in there. <laughs> but that's not even what I'm talking about. That's not even what I'm trying to bring up though. Uh, when we started dancing, uh, I didn't know how to dance. I'd never done it before. And so uh, we would move and we'd have to get like some help, some instruction. She would help me out some, but I didn't know what I was doing. So, so we would start maybe with, with a couple of right steps and I would stumble and it would mess up her next step and then we'd keep going and then it, it would stumble and then uh, it would mess up her next step and, and then we would keep going and we started getting a little bit, little bit more of a rhythm and then I'd mess up and a little bit more of a rhythm and then maybe she would mess up. And, but the rhythm kept building and eventually we got better. And eventually we, we started growing together and, and what it looked like to, to have this rhythm between us. And yeah, every once in a while someone was out of step, but we would just keep going. And eventually I learned how to spin her and I learned how to do a little dip and a couple little tricks and that type of thing. And, and we're not great and we're not even good. Rachel's better than me, obviously, but, but we developed a rhythm that was healthy for ourselves, for me and her. Those movements are the kind of rhythm we build from this foundation. 
Okay, these rhythms about doing each other again in kindness and in honor and submission that we give to one another, man, that's what healthy marriages are built on. Okay, this is what healthy marriages are built on, friends. Yes, one person slips up and one person gives themselves over to selfishness one day, but, but you get back into rhythm. Why? Because you, your self-sacrifice and your imitation of Christ was never, never based on what they were doing. It was always based on, on what he's done for us. And so we get back into a rhythm of giving to one another after one slips up and then we keep going and then somebody else slips up or maybe the same person again and back into a selfish, selfish posture. But, but then we, we get back up and we keep going because we have a God who's continuously merciful and humble and, and, and loving toward us. It, it, it's, again, this marriage of our discipleship to our marriage, right? right? When we marry our discipleship and our marriage, and we begin to build our marriage on the foundation of what it means to imitate Jesus as his disciple and as his follower, then the natural recourse, the natural course after that becomes building a healthy marriage from that. When we build on this foundation of imitating God in our marriages, friends, it's not a burden to keep going when, when the stumbles happen. Okay? It, it's not a burden, it's a joy. The greatest threat to our marriages is not the mistakes or the rhythms that we haven't figured out. Those take time. They're, they're gonna get figured out. I've been married to my wife, Rachel, for almost five years in, in just a few days, in eight days or so. And you know what, man? Like the reality is like we're still figuring some of those things out. The biggest threat is not those mistakes and, and maybe trying to figure out the rhythms. The biggest threat is what foundation we're building those rhythms on. That's the biggest threat to us. If you're not building the rhythms of your marriage on this foundation, then the rhythms are always going to be built on bitterness, not beauty. They're always going to be built on bitterness, not beauty. Okay, they're going to be built on selfishness, not sacrifice. They're always going to be what you can get from it rather than laying down your life for the other person to imitate Jesus. I love how Matt Chandler, a pastor in Dallas, describes the beauty of these rhythms. He says, A husband sacrificially loving his wife and a wife submitted to her godly husband creates a relationship that would never that the world would never look at and say how disgusting and archaic. A lot of people who say they're turned off by the Christian teaching on marriage are actually attracted to the Christian marriages that they see. Friends, if you're married, your marriage is the primary place you work out what imitating Christ looks like. You may not see it like that. You may see, okay, in, in my home, is where I rest and I turn off the spiritual um, switch and out there is where I have to, no, no, in your home, in your marriage is the primary place where we're called to work out what imitating Christ looks like. And if you're not married, you're not off the hook. It's not like God's not calling you. Man, you have beautiful friendships and relationships where you are now being called to imitate Christ there. You have to work out what your life imitating Christ's character looks like in those relationships. And right now you might be asking, okay, so, I hear you on the foundation, but, but where are the healthy rhythms I can do? Give me my, give me my Googled five steps. And, and lovingly, I, I want to tell you, friend, I waited to the end to tell you, I, I can't answer that for you. Because the rhythms my wife, Rachel, and I share may not work for you. And likewise, the healthy, good rhythms that you have may not work for us. You know, like, 
there's some standards. Yeah, there's some things like prayer that I hope you're doing, being in scripture together. Absolutely. But there are no universal set of, there, there's not a universal set of rhythms that work for every single, important, every single person. The important part is that we get this foundation down. Okay. Without this, no matter what rhythms we, we put into our marriage, they're all going to be a burden and not a blessing. They're all going to be a burden and not a blessing. But when we build those rhythms on this foundation, our rhythms are meant to be a blessing to our spouse and come from the blessing we have received already in Christ. The best practical application I can give you today, okay, with one application point, the best practical application I can give you is simply this. Ask your spouse. Ask your spouse. Don't assume you know how to show your spouse humble, selfless love. Don't assume that. If that's what you do, you're exalting your definition of selfless love, and and that's not selfless at all. Um, Rather, this week, what I want to encourage you to do is, if you're married, I want you to have that that kind of tough conversation, maybe a little scary conversation with your spouse about what this looks like for you guys. Okay, wife, approach your husband and ask him, hey, what? How would you most feel and experience um, my respectful, encouraging submission to you as my husband? Husband, approach your wife and ask her, wife, how, how would you most feel and experience me laying down my life to build you up? And, and, and hear me, there's time to work out those answers, right? There, somebody might come with a little bit of some wild left field thing like I've... I would like you to cook every night of the week and be like, brother, I, I love you, but, but to be 100%, that's probably not going to happen. You know, we can, we can work. You, you, we, have, we live in a world where uh, you have the freedom to, to work out what that looks like, but, but, but to come together and have the conversation about, hey, this is what it looks like for me, and this is what it looks like for me, and, and, and let's work together to build the rhythms that help us feel, to help us feel each other imitating Christ to one another imitating his selfless, loving, humble character and affection to one another. How can we do that? If you're not married, man, you have friendships and relationships you can do this with as well. Ask someone, hey, uh, my friend, how can you most experience God's love in our friendship this week? How could I do that? How could I be a better friend to you? You know how often that's asked someone? Like never. That's like never asked someone. Imagine the impact it has when you look at someone and say, hey, how can I show you Christ's love better in our friendship? M- married friends, you, you can do that too. <laughs> like, like non-married friends, you can do that to your married friends. Married people and unmarried people, we need each other. We, we need each other. And so, man, feel free to do that in any of the relationships you have as well. Okay, but yeah, like, see what that looks like right? Invite that conversation. It's going to be uncomfortable. That's okay. We're not doing it for our comfort. We're doing it so that we can grow in being imitators of God. It's my honest hope that this foundation will give way to beautiful rhythms in in our lives. Um, And really, these rhythms would create healthy relationships that fill our lives with joy and speak to the beauty of God, to everyone that's on the outside looking at your life, at my life, and show them the beauty of Christ's life in, in ours. And lastly, I, I got to do it. Um, if you don't know this kindness that we're all talking about, if you don't know this grace, this loving selflessness and, and humility that, that God brings to us and loves us with and then calls us to, uh, man, friend, 
I, I want to encourage you that, that it's for you. And you're not going to, that, that thing, that deep need you have is not going to be met by going and doing the 15 things that Google tells you to do. You are longing for the same thing that we're longing for, which is intimacy with our creator. And God has given it to us through his son, Jesus. Everything that we've talked about right now is how to build healthy relationships in response to the satisfaction we now have in the, the creator that we have been reunited with. You have that same opportunity. If you want to know more about that Jesus, go into the connection card, hit the, I want to know more about Christianity. I want to give my life to Jesus. I would love to personally respond to you and, and talk that out with you and share exactly this hope, this, this love, this affection that we're talking about with so much passion. Man, I would love for you to know it as well. Okay. And so before we finish up, let's go ahead and prepare our hearts for worship. We're going to spend one more song really responding to the word. And, and I want to just go ahead and pray for us for a second. Uh, and so if you would join me as we prepare our hearts to respond to God's word in worship. Uh, Father, thank you so much for your word that speaks directly into our lives, into our relationship. It is not about just us on our own. You, you save us where we are, but you don't leave us where we are. You, you take us into beautiful new places following you as we learn to imitate your character. And, and that imitation is inevitably supposed to impact how we treat other people, how we love other people, especially the relationships that are closest to us, like marriage. And so, God, I'm asking that you, you would work in our hearts. Right now, if, if you are not the, the thing that we are building our marriages on, if you are not the foundation that we're working from, if you are not the satisfaction that we have in our marriage, and if we're not marrying our discipleship to our marriage, God, I ask that you would break our hearts for that, that you would draw us back to yourself, let us rely on you, and know deeply the grace, affection, selfless, humble love you have for us, and, and let that be the motivating factor to create healthy rhythms in our life. We love you, we thank you, we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith.